Amen. That is a great, I love that hymn. One little word, word shall fail him. And uh, we are on the winning side. Isn't it good to know that you are on the winning side today? Uh, I don't feel like I'm winning. What, what do you mean I'm winning? I, have you been with me this week? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today because you are winning if you are in Christ. That's the qualification. If you're not in Christ, I can't help you. But if you're in Christ, you are guaranteed victory. And that's what we're going to look at today in our passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to read through verses 13 through 17. And it begins with Paul saying, I had no rest in my spirit because I did not find Titus my brother. But taking my leave of them, I departed for Macedonia. Now, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one we are the aroma of death leading to death and to the other the aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not as many peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. So there it is. Paul was talking about how they are not like the others, how they are not peddling the truth and just putting on airs, being a, a showman for the sake of getting a little celebrity in his life. But they speak of God. They are actually ambassadors of Christ. They are speaking in sincerity, sincerity in Christ. And so the question today is, are we in Christ? If we are in Christ, we have the guaranteed triumph. And I want to focus on that verse 14, which says, Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. That is the verse I'm standing on today for Faith Bible Fellowship, but not just for Faith Bible Fellowship, but for the church in general and for myself. Because that verse cheers me up. It says he always leads us in triumph. And always doesn't mean sometime or just when you're doing better than other times or when you've been an outstanding citizen for the day or a good Christian this week. It's not dependent on you, but it's dependent on Jesus. And even though things can look grim in our situation, things can look grim out there in the world, Christ cannot fail. A mighty fortress is our God, and the enemy's doom is sure. Amen? Amen. Boy, I, I want to hear some shouting today. Can't you shout or something? And That's good. Okay, we can work a little bit on that. But uh, we've got guaranteed victory, and it's, it comes by faith. Faith is a risky business, is it not? Because faith, well, what do you mean? I've been a Christian for many years. Faith is more than just believing the right things. Faith is taking a step in the right direction. And conviction, a lot of people in the church have conviction but have little faith. What do I mean by that? Conviction, we, we're convinced that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We're convinced that he's going to return and restore all things. And we're convinced that he's for us and not against us. That's good. Conviction is necessary. 
And conviction will set you on a solid foundation. He'll set you on the rock. And everyone needs that conviction. But conviction's brother or sister or sibling, whatever, is faith. Now, faith is different from conviction. Faith is what puts you out on a limb. Okay, so conviction sets you on a rock. Faith will put you out on a limb. Because it's risky. You go out on a limb when you live for Jesus. When you die to self and you live for Jesus, you're putting yourself out on a limb because it's not easy to do that in this world. And sometimes it even seems counterintuitive. Well, I'd say daily it seems counterintuitive. It's just the world does not encourage us in the faith walk. The world does not understand. The world mocks. The world makes it more difficult. And as time goes on, it may get more difficult. But death is never the end, and your trials are never the end. The cross looked counterintuitive. When Jesus went to the cross, the disciples didn't understand it. And people thought, what's going on? And even we we see afterwards, they were walking down the Emmaus Road, and they were just perplexed. I, I can't understand this. And yet, God was working a wonderful triumph through that cross. So even though it seems counterintuitive, the walk of faith... God is working, and death is never the end. Your trial is never the end. And God always leads us in triumph. So this passage where it says he always leads us in triumph in Christ, Paul had in mind a Roman procession or a parade. Kids like the parade? You ever? There's a song, I Love a Parade, right? Uh, But the Roman procession that Paul had in mind was the Roman generals, after they conquered their enemies in certain battles or in a war, they would have a procession down the streets in which they were leading their captives to be on display. And as they were leading their captives on display, uh, people were waving censers and there was a fragrance that was penetrating the air. So... What it was, it was the smell of victory, and it was the show. It was the, it was the triumphant show, the parade moving forward, showing that the Roman generals had won. So what this means to us is, is that God has won and that you are on display. You are part of his parade. Now, there's two ways to look at it. You can take it both ways. You, you are the one that God has conquered if you have a testimony, if you've been Born again, God has come in and conquered you. But it's not the shameful display that the Romans have from their enemies leading them down in the procession. This display you get to share with the general. You are in Christ. In Christ, you are the victor on display. So we are being led. He always leads us in victory, and we are on display. And someone says... Well, faith is a personal thing. You know, you don't talk to me about that. You know, it's my business. And the world says it's my business. And, and yes, faith is a personal thing, but it becomes a public display. If, it, if faith without works is dead, it doesn't mean you work for your salvation. But there's just a natural fruit that comes forth when you believe. And there's an excitement that comes forth when you know you have victory. And there's excitement that comes forth when you know your destiny, that Jesus has paved the way, that you're not going to judgment, you're not going to hell, you're going into the kingdom, you're going into a heavenly eternity, and that even now you are being led in victory. So he always is leading us in victory. If you have been born again, if you have said, Lord, I'm yours, do with me what you want, I'm, I'm following Jesus, 
He has led you. He's already led you. You have a testimony. You have a testimony of victory in your life. You, you, your, your day is not working out. Your, your month's not working out. Maybe your year's not working out. But if you have been born again, you have been delivered from death into life. You've been taken out of bondage into freedom. You've been given a passport to hope, taken out of gloom. You have a testimony in your life. God has done something. And it's remarkable what he's done. And it is a triumph that maybe you don't perceive or understand on a daily basis, but you will for all eternity when you really have your eyes opened to all that he's provided for us. So that is a wonderful thing. You have a testimony. You should, every Christian should have a testimony. I was this, but Jesus made me this. If you can't say that, you can have a testimony, and God can lead you into that triumph. You just call upon him, say, yes, Lord, it's time. I want to join your procession. I want to join your parade. And he will free you from the bondage you're in, and he'll give you the goods, the tools, the equipment, his very self, his spirit, so that you can walk through these dangerous streets that are out there. But the parade isn't intimidated by the dangerous streets that we're marching on. Amen. Amen, Pastor. Yeah. Amen. All right. So, but that's, he's already led you. If you're a Christian, if you're a believer, he's led you in triumph. But he's leading you daily. It says he always, not just he did or he will, but he's always. So he's leading us daily. And just as you have a testimony as a believer, your life should daily testify, right? Your life should da- daily be a testimony of I belong to another, someone who gave his life for me. He died for me, and I live for him. And that's uh, the daily procession. But unfortunately, you know, this is I'm speaking the ideal because unfortunately the great majority of the church in America and the world is not giving this testimony in their daily walk. There's a lot of cultural Christianity out there, a lot of cultural Christianity. There's a lot of people who are going to get interested in Christianity around Christmas, for example, and Easter. They'll come to church on Christmas and Easter, and then we'll see you next year, right? Um, but even there are even regular churchgoers, and I hope it's nobody here, but there are regular churchgoers who, yeah, we're, we're here for Sunday, but then the rest of the week, they're just acting like the rest of the people they live with or work with or go to school with or whatever, they're interested in the same worldly things that aren't good for them. They're doing the same dishonest things that aren't good for them or for others. And they just, you know, we call it the, uh, what do we call it, hypocrites, two-faced, whatever. We, we can't be that way. Paul said we speak in sincerity. We, are, we walk in a sincerity in which we belong to the Lord, and that is a testimony. But if you're a cultural Christian... You're not giving the fragrance, the aroma of Christ to those around you. Cultural Christians who walk contrary to what they profess, that gives more of a stink. So I was going to title this sermon, Do You Smell? But I decided not to. Let's keep it triumphing Christ, right? So you don't want to stink. You want to give a fragrance, a, a sweet aroma. And that's what happens if we are following in the procession. So the question today is, do we follow? If we do, he always leads. The King James Version says he always causes us to triumph. So 
the word is leading as in a procession, but you can get the implication of he causes us. And so it's a done deal. You don't bring it about. It's his work that brings about in you. And so he's the one that causes the victory. We have to learn to take our hands off of it. You know, you you called me to come to this church. My first natural fleshly reaction is I got to do something with this church. It's up to me now. No, it's not. I hope you're not thinking that, too, because I can't do it. Um, but it's not up to me. I have to take my hands off it in a sense. That doesn't mean I, I, I shirk responsibilities, but I have to have my heart in a place where either you're going to do it, Lord, or it's not going to be done. And I have to seek him and go about not asking him to bless my efforts, which is what we often do. That's not being led by him. Being led by him is seeking him and saying, what are, what are you doing, Lord? Where are you going? I'm going to be led into the blessing. Rather than asking him to bless me, uh, and I don't think it's wrong to, to pray, bless me or bless this, but I, ultimately, in the deep, deepest part of our heart and faith, it's walking into his blessing. You're the one. He's already blessed. He's already won the victory. He will win, but he's already won. He won it way back at the cross. And it's a guaranteed victory. He always causes us to triumph. So I'm not just asking him to come along and dragging him into my ways and my plans. I'm seeking his ways, his plans, because I know that's where the blessing is. And that's where I need to be in prayer, and that's where I need to trust and just follow. So the question is, do we Follow, And if we do follow, we are guaranteed. It's guaranteed. That's why I'm standing on this verse for the church and for my life, because I often I often don't feel like it's going to happen that way. But it's guaranteed. And we've got to start standing on that. It's so easy not to stand on. He always causes us to try. It's so easy to get distracted. So are we following him? And we get distracted because we are in the flesh and we live in a dangerous and Seductive world, a troubled world, and I thought of the old story, the Pied Piper. Are you you're familiar with that? Maybe the older generation knows it. I don't know if they still teach it to the younger generation, the Pied Piper. But anyway, there was a town that hired a rat catcher to get rid of the rats, and he played his magical flute, his piper, whatever it was, and there was something to it that the rats followed him, and he took them out and got rid of them. And when the town refused to pay the Pied Piper, then he took revenge by leading the children. So he'd play his magic flute and pipe, and, and they'd go seduced by the music out of, out of the town. And I don't know what happens after that. That's all I remember. <laughs> but I thought that's what the world does. The world is playing the magic flute. And so many people are being led astray. So many people are being led away from the truth. So many people are being led into things that are not good for them and that ultimately lead in defeat. And, you know, the world, we know that. But Christians, you and me, we can get distracted and we can be taken off guard and we can start to get led off the wrong path. And and we can, you know, it's we can... We can go in a way that makes it easier for us. It's not popular to follow Jesus. And it might be dangerous to follow Jesus. Or we might lose our job because we follow Jesus. Or we might be ostracized or something worse. And it's easier to just want to you know, keep things at peace and want to fit in and everything. And that's, that's being led by the wrong music. 
we have the triumphant hymns, right? We, we go by that, but sometimes the world's music is so pleasing and charming, and it seems well, it's just easier, and it's, it's, it's a seduction, it's a hypnosis, and that's where the world is heading. And as Christians, we want to be on guard daily and make sure that we are in the parade, the procession, the triumph, because it is a guaranteed triumph. We don't have to try to get triumph. We just have to make sure that we're following him. He's leading us. If you're being led by anything other than God, you're being led to the slaughter. And we have to say that. I don't want to sound like a you know, harsh, prude person, but you know, if we don't warn people, and a lot of churches won't warn people, and it's feel-good messages, but if you're not following the Lord, you're being led to the slaughter. And uh, we, that's the whole thing. We don't, we, we're, we're about life. We're about victory. We don't want death and defeat. But there are three things that come against us that tempt us all the time. The world, the flesh, and the devil. And you don't want to be led by the world. The world is piping its seductive music and... You know, people think that, oh, you're just a prude. You're, you're just old-fashioned, traditional. You don't approve of our modern, loose lifestyle and, and these things. It's our lives. Why do you care? It's not being prudish. It's, be, it's being loving. It's like, saying, no, I want better for you. I want, you know, God has better for us. It's not like he's a killjoy that wants to steal all your happiness. He wants you to be happier, and it's his ways that make you happier. Well, how can that be? It feels so much better this way and getting in with the world, worldly group. Yeah, it might be that way for a moment, but, and it, but it's that way on the surface. There's a deeper happiness, a joy, a joy of the Lord that you can have even in the times when on the outside everything is, is not so good. And so it's not being prudish. You don't want to be led by the world, and you don't want to be a prude and hammer people over the head with the Bible, but you, you say, hey, there's a better way. God cares. God loves you. He doesn't want you to be in this path of destruction. So are you being led by the world? Are you, are you listening to the world's seductive piping? Is the TV on all the time? Are you watching too much television? You know, why do they call it TV programs? Because they're programming us. How much time are you giving to programming? It's just making you think like the world, making you want to adapt to the world's ways. It is not healthy. It's easy, but it's not healthy. Spending time with the Lord in prayer may not be easy, but it's life-giving, and and it can become one of your greatest joys. I'll just say uh, one of the uh, old Puritans, David Brainerd, said something to the likes of, oh, one hour in prayer exceeds all the joys of this lower earth. And I read that and thought, what? Is this guy from earth? One hour of prayer? is It's hard to spend 10 minutes in prayer sometimes, isn't it? But it's there. You can get to that place. And I've gotten to that place, and you can get to that place. It doesn't happen all the time, but you can discover a spiritual and heavenly joy that outranks anything you experience from the world. So are we led by the Lord or by the world? The flesh, are you being led by the flesh? Here's where a lot of people get in trouble. Do you say the first thing that comes to your mind when you're angry or hurt? Do you give in to whatever you feel like indulging in just because it's there or you have the opportunity for it? Do you give in to those temptations like that because you just don't control yourself? That's not good for you. And that leads to the slaughter. 
We have to, it, it, it's, to be carnally minded is death. To be spiritually minded is peace. Paul was talking about when you're minded towards things, not just what you're thinking, but your inclination is towards all that's going to feed the flesh, it's death. And we don't want that. We're, again, we're about life. And then that's the world, the flesh, there's the devil. Are you being led by the devil? Well, no, of course not. We don't know anybody that worships the devil. But here's a a secret that you might not be, uh, well, I assume that many people here probably wouldn't know, but did you know that one of the main tenets of Satanism is it's not to worship the devil. One of the the main tenet of Satanism is to worship yourself. It's selfishness. The, the creed is do what you will, do what thou wilt. And I don't recommend anyone looking into that. I'm just saying that, did you know that the main tenet of Satanism is to do what you will? It's like, what I want, I'll do. And nobody's going to tell me otherwise. It's selfishness. There's a lot of selfishness in the world today, and it's satanic. And it's all buying into that satanic Pied Piper. Selfishness is our great path to destruction and it pushes people away and it even pushes our own our own selves you don't sleep as well at night when you're selfish you're too worried about yourself all right so jesus said there's a better way he who loses his life for my sake will find it that is the way and all these others the world of flesh and the devil they can give you a delusion of power momentarily but it's always defeat Always, always defeat. Now you say, what well, it looks like the devil's winning out there. I thought it was Psalm 73. If you look at Psalm 73, verses 2 to 3, this is a psalm written by Asaph, who was one of David's musicians. And he had the same feelings. He, this whole psalm, most of it, he's talking about how it looks like there's no, no good for the righteous. It's all the wicked's stuff out there. And they're the ones that are gaining. He said, As for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. He's he's about ready to fall out of the parade. For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And I'm not going to read the whole psalm because the whole psalm goes into how the wicked are thriving and how they're prospering and how it looks like they're winning in this world. And he's getting more and more depressed as he recounts all of this. It goes on for a number of verses. But then we skip to his revelation in verse 17 to 19. He said, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. Oh, how they are brought to desolation as in a moment. They are utterly consumed with terrors. So... Asaph had said, even before that, I almost spoke these things. I almost gave credence to everything I was thinking and feeling. I almost went and sided with this until I went to the sanctuary and I remembered. I understood their end. They are in a bad way. And it's going to come upon them with destruction and terrors. And that reset him. That restored him. So, for the moment, triumph seems like it's non-existent. But when you get yourself back into God's sanctuary, you get back into the victory and you get lifted up and strengthened. So what do you mean by that? How Getting back into the sanctuary. We don't have a temple to go to. You talk about coming to the church, the sanctuary? No. 
What I'm talking about is getting into the sanctuary of God. Psalm 91 says it like getting into the secret place of the Most High. What we're talking about is just getting your bearings straight again. You have to get your bearings straight. You renew your mind to the truth, to the word of God, and you start to reject the lies and the things you see out there with the truth. And the heart. I've, I'm, I've kind of developed this idea of, you know, we got mindset. As I, I haven't really clearly spoken this, but it has been in a lot of the things I've been preaching here, and it's just I see it coming up again and again. But we have this idea of mindset. We have to have this idea of a heart set. A heart set. And uh, the heart set, again, is like a thermostat. You, what you want your temperature to be on, you set the thermostat, and then the power from the unit's going to bring it to that position. Same thing with our hearts. To get in the sanctuary, again, we have to place our hearts in a position where we set the thermostat to God and to his glory, to his truth, to his victory, and we keep our heart there. So our mindset, we're thinking on the right things, we're giving thanks, and we're looking, we're keeping watch as we pray, and our heart set is our desires. We're directing our desires. We're saying, I want what's best. I want what he wants. I want his will in my life. And if I don't really want it, I want to really want it. Boy, that's a helpful prayer to give to God. I'm not willing, but I'm willing to be made willing. Pray that and see what happens. Get your heart in that position, a heart set, like the thermostat. Set it where you want it. People don't set it. They don't even think about their hearts. They don't think about what they're feeding themselves and, and spiritually and what they're, how things affect their heart. But if we can get into the sanctuary, we shall not be moved. We will have the understanding. We will have the right perspective. And this is what Paul understood. Paul suffered quite a bit. And I went over this. He said, our light affliction works for us an exceeding eternal weight of glory. And his light affliction consisted of stonings, sleeplessness, being lost at sea, hunger, beatings, you name it. We read that list in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Um, but he understood. He didn't say, oh man, forget it. This ain't worth it. He, he said in Romans 8.28, this is a verse every Christian should keep to heart. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. All things. He always leads us in triumph, and all things work together for good to those who love God. Now, be sure you understand, not all things are from God. God doesn't send the cancer. God doesn't bring the tragedies. God doesn't bring the death and destruction. Well, he did in the Old Testament. He was working judgment in the Old Testament. All that judgment he's placed on Christ now. But we still live in a fallen world. We still make poor choices. We still suffer because of other people's choices. We still have a devil that brings things into our lives, demonic influences. and We live in a, in a not heavenly state just yet, physically, and in this world. So... All things doesn't mean that God brings these things because he just wants to bless you with a disease. No, all things means that he can work whatever you stumble into or whatever comes upon you. Or if it's a disciplinary action, sometimes he might bring a discipline into your life. We're not, we don't get carried away one side or the other. But what I'm saying is don't embrace the negative things in your life. Don't embrace the trials and say, oh yeah, praise God for this. 
No, you praise God because he can work good through it and that he is drawing you closer to him through it. You know, it's not the, the afflictions that change your life. It's what you do with the afflictions. If it were just the afflictions and the trials that changed your life, then a lot of people would be strong Christians and they'd be better off, right? But, you know, it's not everybody takes advantage and draws closer to God through their trials. So... Paul understood that, and he knew that, wow, I'm not wasting this trial. All things work together for good for me because I love God. And that's what you can say boldly if you're in that triumphant procession with Jesus. All things work together. And Paul even went even further than all things work together for good. He said in Romans 5, verse 3 to 5, not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So not only is he saying, well, it's all going to work out. He actually gloried in his tribulations. When was the last time you gloried in a tribulation? When was the last time I gloried in a tribulation? Oh, man, this is awesome. It's not usually happening that way. But we got to get back to these verses and remember that we have a victory. He is leading us in victory. That word glory in tribulations, it can be translated as boasting, glorying, or rejoicing. He's not rejoicing for the bad tribulation. He's rejoicing because he knows that it's not pointless or in vain, but it's going to produce something in his life because he's in on what the Lord is doing. He's in Christ, and even the worst things that can happen to us, in Christ we have triumphed. Nothing, in other words, he's saying nothing can touch us and God can be glorified all the more getting me through this situation. But you're not going to have that strength to glory and joy and rejoice if you don't have the love of God shed in your hearts, poured in, in our, your hearts by the Holy Spirit. And here's a, you know, the secret sauce to the Christian life is being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's what waters the Word, activates the Word, gives you the the uh, joy and the strength to follow Jesus when it's unpopular to do so. And you need to be fueled by love. Love is, is the whole fueling of the Christian faith. God so loved the world. And we love because he first loved us. And we'll do anything for love, even for uh, a natural affection to somebody. You'll do anything for someone you love. But there is a love for God and a love from God that transcends any earthly love. And it can only be accessed by the Holy Spirit. And if you've not been affected by that, you can pray and ask God for the Holy Spirit to pour that upon you. And again, I haven't, that hasn't happened. It's the heart set. Get that thermoset stat and the power will come. And you may need to do that more than once. It, I need to be refueled by that. I need, it's getting back into the sanctuary, right? Again, getting back into that sanctuary, that most holy place, getting your bearings straight so that God will again build you up. It's not in our efforts. It's, it's in his efforts. And he, I think he's pleased when we have that heart set. He's pleased when we, when we want to do his will and be uh, the fragrance for him. That's his, it's his plan, it's his purpose, so why wouldn't he do that if, if you're willing to cooperate with him? And when you don't feel victorious, in the first verse today, uh, said that Paul had unrest in his spirit because 
uh, he couldn't find Titus, or was it Timothy? I see, I'm so focused on verse 14, but he had unrest in his spirit. And um, you're going to have, being in triumph doesn't mean that everything is always, there it is, Titus. Okay, so he did not find Titus. I had no rest in my spirit. Paul, as victorious as he was, and he understood that we always triumph in Christ, and he gloried in his, his tribulations, still he had times where there was no rest in his spirit. And in other places he said he had distresses and they despaired even of life. So don't get this idea that our always being in triumph means we're always going to be floating on cloud nine, this side of heaven. But the key here is that these weren't the norm. This wasn't the general thing with Paul. It was something that he was being led through. Remember, a parade keeps moving. So um, you have the ability to get past these things. But how do you do that? It's, again, getting into the sanctuary. And here's the secret from Paul. Even though he had these distresses, he did not park there. He did not stay there. A lot of times we'll park in the distresses. Oh, things are so terrible. Yeah, I know God loves me, but things are so terrible. you got to turn it the other way around. It's where you're placing your butt. No, I shouldn't have said that. That's... <laughs> But it's you've got to, it's where you place the things around that. <laughs> Forgive me. Um, but it but <laughs> you you have to end on the victory. And he did this in Second Corinthians four eight eight through ten. We are hard pressed on every side yet, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. So where do you stay? Where do you end up? And this is a very good lesson for us when it comes to praying, because in praying, sometimes you're going through a hard time, and praying can be the worst thing that you do. Well, how can that be? Well, it's when you get down, you start your laundry list of troubles, and you're just rehearsing your troubles. Oh, God, is so bad, and this happened to me, and why is this going on, and where are you, Lord, and all this, and, and uh, what are we going to do about the lack of money for rent, and what are we going to do about this person is sick, and all this stuff, and oh, help me, Lord, and where are you, Lord? And then you feel worse after you've prayed than when you got down to begin with. And why? Because you're rehearsing all that is coming upon you, when, and you're parked in that place when you need to get out and park in the sanctuary. So how do you do that? You pray, say, Lord, it's terrible, and I'm, I'm going through this, but you are good. You are loved. You love me, and you have provided for me. You find the promises of Scripture. If you don't even know the promises of Scripture, you just can always still say, you are a loving God. You died for me. The cross alone should be an encouragement to us in any situation. I don't know how I can make it through the day, Lord, but Jesus died for me, and I know that he died so that I may have eternal life, and I know that this isn't but temporary, and I have an eternity to look for when I won't have to deal with things like this. Hallelujah. Praise you, Lord. And, you know, you start worshiping Jesus, and the devil says, oh, man, this ain't working, and he leaves for a little bit. So where are you parking? Where are you staying? Are you going back to the sanctuary? It was miserable. The wicked are... Are, are prospering, but he got back in the sanctuary, and that's what we can do. 
And God will work even in our failures. I, when I taught at a high school in China, I was teaching several classes of 60-plus high school students who were rowdy, noisy, and would not sit still. And, you know, you can't control 10 or 20. I tried controlling 60. And for an English class, I have to get them to be quiet so I can hear them. I have to get them talking to each other and not going off the, the class project. And, th- and it just didn't work. And I was feeling like this is not working. And I felt so bad. I'm here as a missionary for Jesus, and I'm not representing him very well. I'm not succeeding in this endeavor. And I felt so bad. And at the end of my time there, the principal had me in her office, and she said, you were a great teacher. I said, what are you talking about? I failed. I couldn't get them to be quiet. I couldn't get them to learn how to answer, how was your weekend? How was your weekend? They do. Uh, what? <laughs> you know, They couldn't even get that. I was like, I was a failure as an English teacher in that situation. Later, I did a little better. But she said, you were a great teacher. I said, well, why do you say that? I didn't get them any much further, and it was the classrooms were difficult and all that. She said, but you were responsible. The last t- person we had here was never letting us know when they couldn't come to class, and they, they were having difficulties with students, and, and they weren't dependable. And you were always there. You let us know when you couldn't be there, and, and the students loved you and things like that. And I thought, the Lord brought a witness out even when I thought I had failed. And something you feel like maybe you're failing in, maybe maybe the Lord's doing something through it that you're not aware of yet anyway. Or you say, well, that's, you know, that's not a big failure. I've really blown it. I've really failed. Well, you're still in, in a good place. Look at this verse from Hosea 2, verse 14 and 15. It says, Therefore, behold, I will allure her, will bring her into the wilderness and speak comfort to her. I will give her her vineyards from there and the valley of Achor as a door of hope, and she shall sing there. Now, what's this mean? The valley of Achor, Achor means troubling or trouble. And it was the place of great failure. It was in the time of Joshua when they went to, to the battle and they, they failed. They lost the battle because of a man named Achan who disobeyed the orders of the Lord and grabbed things from the camp. And so in the valley of Achor, they had to execute him. And uh, it was a terrible thing, but they, they judged the sin. And from that place of judgment, that failure brought about a victory ongoing afterwards. And then later in Hosea, this is a prophecy to Israel saying that your valley of Achor, your door of hope, the place where it seemed like it was all judged and done for, becomes a place where yet there's going to be provision, there's going to be hope out of that, out of that mess up, out of that failure, out of that punishment, whatever it was. God has never out of resources to bring about his victory. He can't lose, and that's the whole thing. Every Christian should be familiar with the story of Joseph. Joseph looked like it was a failure. He was sold into slavery by his brothers. He languished in prison for several years. Uh, He was falsely accused. And and what happened? Joseph ends up being the second man in Egypt and the uh, savior of sorts among the nations during a famine. Remember the story of Job, how rotten it was for Job. Everyone talks about, I'm another Job. It's rotten for me. But they never talk about the ending of Job, in which he had more than he had to be. He, he was led to triumph. 
and his acor became a door of hope in his latter days. So if you are another Job, rejoice because you've got a greater end coming. And of course, there's the book of Revelation. I always, a new Christian should know the story of Joseph, should know the story of Job, should know the story of Revelation because Revelation is, is the culmination of judgment and showing what the world is leading to and the glory and victory and ending of the saints of God. And we have to keep these things in mind. That will get us through the trials and tribulations. And that's, we were talking yesterday at the picnic with Dave. Uh, one of the purposes of the book of Revelation is so you will be encouraged to persevere. And again, Paul understood this. He, he would even glory in these things because he knew the end. And of course, Jesus is the ultimate example. Jesus came to the cross. And I already mentioned how everyone thought that was a failure. And it looked like it. But in the end... It was the way to victory, not just for him, but for multitudes upon multitudes. It was a witness and display before all the angelic realms and before all of eternity, his glory. And it looked like it was such an inglorious thing. So you are never without triumph. Triumph is always in process in Christ. It was in process in Joseph, even though he had to go through things. It was in process with Job. It was in process now in the world, Revelation. That Jesus, it was in process through that time, and he came forth mighty. And here's what happened. This I'll finish with this, another parade. Are you ready for another parade? We started with a parade, and here's the parade again. In Colossians 2, verse 14 to 15. This is what happened at the cross. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. That word triumphing is the same word we use as he always causes us to triumph in Christ, and it's the same principle here, same thing in Paul's mind, that Roman procession. He made a public spectacle of these principalities and powers. He disarmed them at the cross, and he made them a public spectacle. And here, here it is, folks. You, you are going to be in a parade. You're either going to be the fragrance of Christ. You're going to be in the victory laps. Or you're going to be among the enemies of Christ, the public spectacle. It's one or the other. But the parade keeps moving, and we decide who we are following. And the glorious vision of it is, is that victory that we see in this verse here is our victory in Christ. You've defeated principalities and powers because you were in Christ. If you were crucified with Christ, you are in him, he in you. What can anyone do to you? Well, they can do a lot. No, they can't ultimately defeat you. You are triumphed over them. Jesus is not going to triumph over these things. He already triumphed over them, and he made a public spectacle of them. So it's in Christ. It's not you. You are not the conqueror. You are more than a conqueror through him. We get weary because it's all us trying to do the work. We have to say, he's already done it, and I'm safe in him. You are in the master. You are in the one who has overcome. Death could not stop him. His enemies cannot topple him, and you're safe in the ark with him. The Lord, the mighty fortress is our Lord. We sang it early. Mighty fortress, nothing can penetrate it, and we're safe in that ark, and as long as we're in him, it's guaranteed. He always causes us to triumph. And that's my word for us as a church today. 
He always causes us to triumph, so there's no reason why this little body of believers can't revive again and be a fragrance of Christ in this neighborhood. The promise is, is that he will make manifest his fragrance through us in every place. And this, this church, this body of believers meets in this neighborhood, and I believe we can take this verse and say he will make his knowledge known. We will be the aroma of him in this place and wherever we go. But we can't be put off by seeming setbacks. We can't be put off by irritations. They're sure to come. And, you know, looking like it's not going to work, we can stand on this. Jesus always. He's the victor, and we're safe in him. He's the redeemer. He can turn our failures and our everything that we give imperfect, and he can make them into the incense before the Lord that pleases the Father. Isn't that good? You, you, it's not you. You can't do that. But you get to take the credit for it because you're in him. He says, take my yoke. He's, you're, we're not, he's not taking your yoke. We're getting in with him. And so it's almost embarrassing. He's, it's really him that did it, but we're getting part of that. We're, we're in. He allows us to share in that. And that's why he's so good to us. None of us deserve that. And, uh, boy, there's great things ahead if we can just weather these times and weather the challenges uh, in life, in this church, whatever situation you're in, you are guaranteed victory. And let's just remind each other when we need to, because we need, we need to remind each other. Amen? Amen. Amen. So let's uh, just bless the Lord. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We thank you that you have guaranteed for us victory in Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that you are the victor. We exalt you, worship you as the victor. We thank you, Lord. Uh, that you will see your, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we just thank you for the privilege of serving you in the kingdom and for all the things you have for us to bring us into where we need to be. We just love you and thank you and ask your blessing and protection on all of us. In Jesus' name, amen.